Luke chapter 1, verses, we're going to look at verses 67 through 80 today. The title of the message is uh, A Mighty Salvation. A Mighty Salvation. So when we talk about salvation, to many people in this world, salvation, when you mention the word salvation, it's very trivial in the eyes of many, in many different ways. People make this whole idea of of salvation a very trivial thing. First of all, the proud, those who are proud in heart, they mock the whole idea of salvation. The fact that they would need to be saved, the whole idea that they're they're sinners and they need to be saved. Saved from what? Why do they need to be saved? So there's a... Some people trivialize it just through mocking the whole idea. Some, even within the church, they, 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 they reduce salvation simply to a sinner's prayer. Meaning, just repeat a, repeat a few words, and, and it's like a magic. It's like a little magic spell, and you're in. Um, give a no give a no thought to the facts of the gospel. Give a no thoughts to the power of the gospel. But simply just repeating a word, a few words. I was told to do that at the age of fourteen. Uh, nobody explained sin to me. Nobody explained the gospel. Nobody explained what Jesus did. Nobody explained repentance. Nobody explained to me what I was being saved from. But if I just repeat this little magic formula, I'm going to heaven. So some people, that, that's all it is. Some people trivialize it through uh, just through, through thinking we can be saved by good works. Whether it be baptism, right? That, it, so what? understand this, guys, that when people, when people uh, teach a salvation by some kind of works, they totally mock the gospel. They say it really doesn't matter that Jesus Christ came and died. That the God of the universe came and, 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 and suffered the wrath of God on the cross when really all you got to do is just be dunked in some water or be sprinkled with some water or just pray a certain amount of times a day or go knocking on doors or whatever the case may be. They trivialize it through good works. Some people trivialize it. They think it's somehow passed down, right? I mean... You know, if you're a, if you're a, uh, from the nation of Israel, many people think, well, you know, I'm just naturally in because I'm an Israelite. But even in our land, even in our day, even in our culture, what do you hear so many times when you start to press the issue of the gospel? Well, my grandpa, he was a, he was a preacher. My parents are Christians. Da 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 da. They trivialize this mighty salvation that we're going to look at by thinking that they really don't need Jesus Christ because somebody in their family is a Christian or a preacher. Again, some think it's just simply by being a good person. Really don't need Jesus. It's just really making a mockery of, of what God has provided, what we're going to see today. This such, just such a great salvation that God provided at a great cost, by the way. Some think it's by some in our land think it's just by being a good old American. Right? You know, God's for this country, and by gosh, I'm an American, and somehow. God's for me. Or maybe, well, I served in the military. These are good things. But it has nothing to do with salvation. You see how how the gospel is trivialized? Salvation is trivialized. Guys, as we're going to see today, salvation is always a mighty thing. When there has been true salvation occurred, it is a mighty thing. It's a mighty thing in the Scriptures. And it's a mighty thing in somebody's life. It's not something you just add to your life. Right? 
I mean, I've had people tell me that. That they were supposedly saved. <laughs> because I used to give tracts out years ago, really just out of ignorance. And it, and it had the little magic formula at the end. And, and I've had guys tell me that, I mean, just guys that I would witness to, maybe give them a tract, and they would, and they would then tell me that, yeah, man, I, uh, the, you know, this weekend I did this, I did the, this, so I got saved, I prayed that prayer. And then, so I'm like, oh, I'm excited. And so then I, 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 I try to start, you know, ministering to them. Hey, man, you thought about getting into church? And the next thing you know, the guy's rebuking me. Going, that's all you Christians think about is us. We've got to be in church. And I'm just thinking, something's wrong with this picture. Because he was trivializing the whole thing. Thinking that if he just said a few magic words, that he's saved. And guys, as we're going to see today, none of these things are what the what our salvation is. Salvation is a mighty act of God. It's a mighty thing. It's always mighty. Um, so the question we'll ask, a couple questions we ask, what is it? What is this great salvation? What, you know, what makes it such a mighty salvation? We'll look at that. We'll, we'll answer those questions today in the sermon. And, and, and then this question here, guys, kind of by way of introduction, does it matter that it's a mighty salvation? Does it matter? Absolutely it matters. All these things that I said, guys, are just different ways that people might be deceived and thinking they, that they have received the salvation, only to hear in the end, right? From the Lord Jesus Christ when He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is, who is in heaven. Remember what He said? Many on that day, they're going to say, Lord, we did all these things for You. Religious people. We cast out demons. We did many mighty works. Miracles. All these things. And what's He going to say? I never knew You. They never experienced Salvation that's talked about in the Scriptures. So it matters. It matters. When we're talking about salvation, it matters just because somebody think they may be, thinks they may be saved because of maybe one of these reasons or a myriad of others. This whole idea of, of the salvation being a mighty salvation, it matters. It's going to matter in the end. So let's look at verse 67 real quickly. So this is, uh, well, let me, let me just go ahead and, I haven't even read the text yet, so let me read the text and we'll come back to verse 67. So if you guys remember last week, you remember when the John was circumcised about that same time, um, on the eighth day after his birth, and they asked, the people asked, asked, Elizabeth, what his name would be. Then they asked John, or, and they asked Zechariah, and Zechariah, his, all of a sudden his mouth was open, remember? God opened his mouth, loosed his tongue, and it says he, he gave praise to God. So basically, we're going to see some of what he was saying here. So this is both considered a song and a prophecy. Okay? It's a song and a prophecy. And by prophecy, you've got a couple different meanings. One of the meanings is just to foretell, right? Like, like, in a sense, I'm prophesying today, foretelling the Word of God, what the Word of God says. But also, he's also telling things that have yet to happen. That kind of prophecy as well. So let's read this real quickly. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, His servant. And He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old 
salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance. So verse 67 real quickly. It says, His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying these things that we're going to look at. He was filled in the sense that when the, when the Scriptures speak about being filled with the Spirit, there's really some different kinds of fillings. This filling here is just the kind of filling that God gives His people at times just for acts of service. Okay, He's being filled to proclaim the Word of God, but He's also being filled by way of inspiration. I mean, this is recorded Scripture. So that... That would not apply to us, but we pray. I pray for God every time I open my mouth to speak that you'll fill me with the Spirit. Not that I haven't been. Every Christian's been filled, but we're to continually be filled. And there's sometimes we ask to be filled in a special way to proclaim the Word of God with power. So He's filled with a special power for service. And it's very interesting, guys, when you think about Him being filled with the Spirit. As we go through this song... What's his emphasis? His emphasis is on Christ. His emphasis is on Christ. And so, to truly be filled with the Spirit, guys, whether you're preaching the Word or not, but to be filled with the Spirit, your your emphasis in your life is going to be centered upon Jesus Christ. That's one way you can know whether you're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit always points to Christ. So this is a beautiful thing. This this, uh, prophecy He gives, the song He sings, you know what I see? You know what I see in it? The main thing. I see him just focusing on Jesus Christ. He's filled. And so, just by way of reminder, last week, as we're going to see, when his mouth was open, his tongue was loosed, and God uh, delivered him from that affliction that had been on him. He had been mute and deaf for nine months. Man, we see that that affliction did him well. It really did. We see him praising the Lord. And so we're going to see, we're going to see four things about this mighty salvation in verses really 68 through 79 today. And we're going to see, first of all, guys, that this mighty salvation is accomplished by God. Our mighty salvation is accomplished by God. Don't don't ever think you've accomplished salvation or I've accomplished salvation. It's accomplished by God. Look at verse 68. So he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. Accomplished redemption. So he's going, to be, he's going to be by way of prophecy here, He's going to be speaking about things that really haven't come to fruition yet as if they already have. Okay, That's the prophetic part of this. But this is talking about our redemption. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption. You know what that phrase right there, guys? That He has accomplished redemption. This alone, this statement alone, destroys all false religions. Right there. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. That's exactly what He was saying right here. 
To tell us die, it has been accomplished. He has accomplished our redemption. I hope you understand that. This has been accomplished by God. All of the false religions, what do they say? No, it's not finished. Every time the Roman Catholics go to their Mass, they're saying, no, it's not finished. We need to finish it. Okay, that's not true. It has been accomplished. Redemption has been accomplished. In this text, he's identified as the Lord God of Israel. That's just the title of God. That's one of the titles of God. Because when you think about the nation of Israel, God chose the nation of Israel as an instrument of His uh, for His plan of salvation. You think about the nation of Israel, some of the privileges they had, they were entrusted with the very oracles of God, Paul says. To Israel belonged the prophecies, belonged the covenants, belonged the promises. To Israel belonged the shadows and the types. And most importantly through Israel, that's who the Messiah came through, physically. So, that, so he, is, he is referred to at different times as the God of Israel because He chose Israel to accomplish His purposes. But guys, never, never, ever think that that means that He's just God to a certain nation called Israel. No, not at all. Jot down Psalm 86 verse 9 because we must remember this. That God is a God of the nations. He's always been a God of the nations. He says this, the psalmist says in 86, uh, Psalm 86, verse 9, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. Amen? He's the God of the nations. Why do I say that, guys? You know, if you've ever dealt with groups, certain groups, and you know the group I'm going to mention, the Hebrew Israelites, they'll take a verse like that and they'll say, See, He's just the God of Israel. But we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We have to interpret with the rest of the whole Bible. Why did He give the Great Commission? Right? Did He say, go make disciples of just Israel? No, He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. You know what's a great thing about our country now? Well, one of the great things about our country, there's so many different nationalities in our country, it makes the Great Commission easier. <laughs> you don't have to leave. You can go out in the streets and meet people from all kinds of different countries. Proclaim the Gospel. But no, He, he is a God of the nations, guys. And you and I better be thankful for that, right? Because we're not Jews. <laughs> no, we're so grateful that the gospel went out to the nations and eventually came to, to our land. It says in verse 68, he, is, uh, he has visited us and accomplished redemption. Again, he's stating it as if it's already done, okay? And we can see that. We can see that, that's his, that, that God has given him this prophetic voice. We see down in verse 76, another example of that, speaking about His Son, John, you, and you child will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways. So He knows what the Old Testament says. He knows that, right? He knows who His Son is. He's going to be the one that prepared the way. And so obviously knowing that, that His Son was going to be the John the Baptist who would prepare the way for the Messiah, he knows who's following him very soon, and that's the Messiah. So he knows that God has visited us. He has visited us through these events that has happened, and most importantly, through who is, who is in the womb of Mary. And it says, when he says that redemption has been accomplished, guys, that just means that word redemption, it just means he has purchased your salvation. That's what it means to be redeemed. It's been accomplished. Our salvation has been accomplished. It's been purchased. God purchased your salvation. He purchased my salvation. And it came at a great cost. It came at a great cost. 
the blood of His dear Son. Peter says in chapter 1 in 1 Peter uh, verses 18 and 19, he says, knowing that you are not redeemed. There's that word. You are not deemed. You are not purchased. You are not bought with perishable things like silver or gold, right? There's some people trusting in their riches. They mock the gospel. They trivialize the gospel because they think somehow their money is going to help them. That's what the Jews thought in Jesus' day. It, that wealth was a sign of salvation. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. He says, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold or from your, uh, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with Precious blood. This is, that's what redeemed us. With precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished. Unblemished. And spotless, the blood of Christ. That is what redeems our soul. That is what God has used to purchase us from the slave market of sin. You understand? Guys, that we have been redeemed. We were in the slave market of sin and the devil and Satan Death and hell, all of it. And God purchased us through the blood of His Son. That unblemished and spotless blood. Salvation cannot be purchased by your good works. Right? Many people think that. That God smiles on their good works. But what does Isaiah tell us in Isaiah 64.6? That even our good works, even our righteousnesses, are like filthy rags. No, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our redemption has been accomplished. Amen? It is finished. It is finished. And so we see two things under this. Accomplished by God, first of all, by His power. By His power, verse 69a. And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Guys, that phrase there is used multiple times in the Old Testament. And it just means strong, powerful, mighty. It's a, it's a strong salvation, a mighty salvation, a powerful salvation, and even a destructive salvation is the meaning here. What, what, what would that mean? It's a destructive salvation. Well, you remember what Jesus said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8? The Son of Man, or the Son of God appeared for this purpose, what? That he might destroy the works of the devil. So in that sense, the salvation, it's mighty, it's powerful, it's strong, and it's destructive. It destroys the power and the works of the devil. And that's what the, that's what the horn symbolizes in animals, right? That's where their, their strength and their power. You guys ever seen two mature bucks sparring? Man, it's, it's powerful, it's violent. And then a little buck will walk up, and that big one will chase him off, right? Because he's got bigger horns. And so it's a symbol of that power. And that's, so that's what that horn of salvation is, guys. It's been accomplished by God by His power. Jesus Christ has abolished death through His, through His cross and through His resurrection. Powerful, mighty salvation. And then also through His promises. It's been accomplished by God by His power. Right? On the cross... Is where the enemy was defeated through his resurrection. Death is swallowed up in victory. All of it because of the work of Jesus Christ. Said he made a he made a public spectacle of the powers of darkness on that tree. 
mighty salvation. But he also did it through his promises. It's been accomplished by God through his promises. In verses 69b through 73. So 69 it says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. In the house of David his servant. You know David, we sang about David, right? Christ is the true and better David. David is pictured as... He, he is... Uh, He's a type of Christ in many, many, many different places in the Old Testament. One place would be Jeremiah verses, uh, chapter 30, verse 9. It says, But they shall, they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. Again, guys, this is many, many years after David was dead and gone. He's talking about somebody greater. David their king. They shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. The very one Zacharias is singing about today. David represented Christ, guys, to rule over and to save his people. David was a great king, but David was just a picture of somebody greater, the true and better, Jesus Christ. God promised a king, right? He promised a king. He promised us a king to rule over, to protect his people, to give his people security, to give his people safety, to give his people hope. Do you realize, guys, that your salvation is secure because of your King? You have hope because of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has power over the death. He has power over the grave. He is the King. Every creature will bow down to Him. And we have the privilege of knowing Him as our Savior and Lord. Praise God for sending us this King. We see in verse 70 some more promises. It says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Now we could spend a lot of time there, but just to to get kind of a few mountain peaks views, maybe some different instances of this, some prophets in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses speaks about the, the prophet whom God would raise up. I was just reading that this morning in my personal reading. I came across that verse. But Moses speaks of this prophet whom God would raise up. In John chapter 6, the people recognize this was the prophet that Moses was talking about. David himself speaks of this one many times, but in Psalm 110 verse 1, for example, David speaks of the one who would sit at God's right hand, right? And, and put his enemies under his feet. The Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah spoke much about Christ. And in, in Isaiah chapter 9, he spoke of the one who was called Emmanuel, right? Which means God with us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. And Isaiah 53, suffering servant. Right? You can read Isaiah 53, guys, to somebody who don't, doesn't know their Bible, and they, they just assume you're reading from the New Testament. Right? He was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. He asked people, who's that talking about? Well, that's talking about Jesus on the cross. Yeah. About 700 years before it happened. So we see in the Old Testament, time after time, Jeremiah described him as the Lord, our righteousness. In Jeremiah 23, verse 6, you understand, guys, that we are righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. He is our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. God provides us the righteousness of His very life, of His obedient, perfect life, can be imputed to the sinner. By God's grace, the Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah and Zechariah both refer to Him as the branch, the righteous branch. Ezekiel and Zechariah refer to Him as the shepherd. 
Right? The shepherd. What does the shepherd do? Again, it protect, he protects. He gives rest for the soul. Daniel. In Daniel 7, speaks of the Son of Man whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. You see His kingship. Micah calls Him the ruler in Israel in Micah 5.2. It says that He will be born in Bethlehem. So these are just a few verses we could look at in the Old Testament. Of course, there's many, many more, guys. Many, many more. Hundreds of prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament that have already been fulfilled, guys. This is the Word of God. You can trust the Word of God. Christ fulfills them all. He is the true and better. He is the true and better. He is the true and better Exodus that we read about in Psalms a while ago, right? God delivered His people from the hand of Pharaoh. What does Christ do? He delivers us from the hand of our enemies. He's the true and better. As a matter of fact, that's the next verse in verse 71. He says, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This is taken. We just read about it in Psalm 106. This is taken from Psalm 106, verse 10. This is speaking about the exodus at the Red Sea. When God delivered the people of Israel from the hands of Pharaoh and his armies. Saved us from our enemies. But guys, the Jews of this day, when Zechariah wrote this, the nation of Israel, guys, they were looking for something physical only. They were looking for somebody to deliver them from their physical enemies. They were looking for, for a Messiah to deliver them from the bondage of Rome. And, they, and so they missed it by and large. Most of the Jews missed it because they were looking for something that Christ did not come to do. That's when many of the Jews would abandon Him. They thought, oh, this is Him. This is the one who's going to deliver us from our physical enemies. They missed it entirely. Some of them are still waiting on the Messiah to come. Guys, can I... Uh, which I don't, you know... I have confidence that most of you guys haven't missed, missed it in this way, but many in our day have. And we have to sound the warning. Don't miss it. Don't, don't think that... You know, whether it be some political leader... <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump's done a lot of great things in this country as president, but he's not our Messiah. Okay? He is not our Messiah. He's a sinner who needs the Messiah. So we don't want to trust any earthly leader, obviously, but we don't even want to trust in what I call an over-realized eschatology, meaning our hope is that God is going to fix this world. I don't see that. Guys, that's not our hope. It's not even our hope that, that Jesus is going to save America. I don't know what God's going to do with America. I know America's under judgment. But our great hope, guys, Matthew, again, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. We can see clearly as we go through this that the enemies he's talking about is not primarily physical. Okay? You remember our Christmas message that Joseph, or that the angel gave Joseph in Matthew's account. You should call his name Jesus. And he, and he says specifically who He's going to save us from. You should call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. Our greatest enemies, guys, are those that are spiritual enemies of our soul. Our greatest enemies begins with Satan. okay, And everything that flows from that. His demons. The lust of the flesh. Death. Hell. All of these 
or in relation to our sin. Jesus came to save us from our sin. That's our greatest enemy. The enemies of our soul is what He came to save us from. And I would say also, back in Genesis 3.15, the, the seed of the serpent, which, is, which are all of those who are children of the devil, who oppose the church, persecutors of the church. Jesus even came to save us from our persecutors in the sense that they may take your life, but they can't take your soul. But our enemies, guys, are spiritual. The devil is after your soul, after our loved ones, after our children, after our souls. And he does this through many, many ways in this world. But those are our real enemies. Isaiah 45, 17 describes our salvation as an everlasting salvation. We're not looking for a salvation from just a nation, okay? We're looking for salvation, somebody to save us from our sins. And God has done that in the person of Christ. See, so many hope, so many hope in, 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 in things of this world like health and, and riches, or maybe even retirement, right? That's a, that's a lot of people, that's their great hope, is if I can just get to a place where I can retire. All of these things are good in, in and of themselves, guys, but they're all lacking. Our, our one true hope must be in Jesus Christ. And what He did at the cross. That's what He came to save us from, guys. These true enemies of our soul. Verse 72, verse 8. It says, to show show mercy toward our fathers. Mercy came from God. Mercy comes directly from God. He expressed it in, in different covenants that He made. With Abraham, with Moses, different covenants he made in the Old Testament to, to the fathers, to Zechariah says, our fathers, but all of these were fulfilled in Christ. Okay? They were expressed in covenants he would make, but they were all pointing to something bigger, and they were all fulfilled in Christ. Any forgiveness of sins, any life, when the Bible speaks about abundant life, eternal life, is only possible through the death of Christ. In the verse 72 and 73, this is still all under through that His mighty salvation was accomplished by God through His, His different promises in the Old Testament. In 72b and 73, it says, And to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father. His holy covenant and the oath He swore to Abraham our father. If you want to flip over to Genesis 22, or you can just... Listen or jot it down. Genesis 22, 15-18. And then I'm going to read a short passage out of Hebrews. Genesis 22, verses 15-18. through 18. Now it came about... Oh, sorry, wrong chapter. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By Myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed My voice. It's that last phrase, guys. Through the seed of Abraham... 
All the nations will be blessed. Okay? This is talking about the seed, the Messiah, the same seed that was that he spoke to Adam and Eve about and the serpent in the garden. The promised seed that would come. We see it, we just see it throughout the Old Testament, this promised one that would come. The, the nations will be blessed because of this seed, this, this covenant that he gave Abraham. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, we see a little commentary on that. Just seeing that it's all from God, guys. Through His promises that He made in the Old Testament, guys. Never lose sight. We cannot read the Old Testament except through the lens of Christ. Okay, You can't be reading any of it separate from Christ because it's all pointing to Him. It's all pointing to Him. Sometimes it's a little fuzzy. And sometimes, many times it gets more clear and more clear and more clear and more clear and then He's on the scene. But it was all pointing to Him. Okay? Our great hermeneutic in reading the Old Testament is Christ Himself. Okay? We'll get, we'll, get, we'll get in all kinds of confusion if we're not reading the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's very, very important. Hebrews 6, 13 and 14. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. This oath, this oath back in chapter, uh, back in Luke where we're at in our text, it has been accomplished by God, this great salvation. It's been accomplished by God, by His power, and through His promises. This promise that He gave specifically to Abraham, that He would, um, through His seed, through ones that would come through His loins, of, through, the, through the nation of Israel, that He would save the nation, is what this is saying. And in the verse in Galatians 3.29 that we've referenced a few times, where Paul says, again, writing to the Galatians, okay, these, are not, these are not Jewish believers by and large, they're Gentile believers, and he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Okay, So you see these promises, it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. He was writing to the Gentiles in Galatia. But guys, this is true for the Gentiles that sit in the United States of America. If you have faith in Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Okay? Because the promise is Christ. That's the promise. That's always the promise. The same would be true for believers in Russia, believers in Jamaica, believers wherever on the face of the earth. Truly Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Because it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Alright, so it's accomplished by God, by His power, through His promises, and this mighty salvation, guys, is applied to our lives. Okay, It's applied to our lives. It's mighty in our very lives that we live now. This salvation. This is in verse 74 and 75. To grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear. Oh, I love that. I love that. Your, your Bible may say delivered, okay? I think most of them say delivered. The NAS says, says rescued. I just love that word rescued. Probably the LSB says rescued. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love that word rescued. And delivered is fine as well. That's what salvation is. God delivers us. God rescues us. And so Galatians 1.4, 
Jesus Christ, this is in the, the NAS, Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins so that He might, there's the word again, rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. You see, beloved, back to, back to the point a while ago. Our enemies are not political. Our enemies are not physical. Our enemies are spiritual. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Now these things are manifested in all kinds of physical ways in this world, but we have to remember who our enemy is. Our enemy is the devil. Okay? The, the enemy of our soul. But when we think of things like things that, that are happening in our world, yes, we, we need to address these things, but we need to address it with the mindset that, that, that Satan is behind all of these things. When we think of things like abortion, right? Abortion is evil, it's wicked. As Christians, we should fight against it. When we think about the attack on marriage in our land, when we take, think about the attacks on gender that, that come from these just these ungodly, satanic, tyrannical government systems. These things are really, they really are happening in our land. The whole LGBTQ movement. But guys, it's all fueled. There's somebody behind it all. We need to remember that. These people are not our enemies. These people are the mission field. Okay, We don't take our rifles and go out hunting down these people. We take the Gospel to them. We think about false religion like Islam or Roman Catholicism or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or the Hebrew Israelites or there's many others. I mean, we've seen that all of their systems are destroyed just with the truth that God has accomplished this. But these are false systems. Who's behind it all? The devil's behind it all. To drag people to hell. He hates God. He hates Christ. He hates you. He even hates those people who think they love Him. Right? I'm serving the devil. He hates your guts. And He wants to destroy our lives. He wants to destroy souls. The world of porn. The world of drugs. The world of alcohol. Into the universities. The evolution. All of these things, guys. All of these things, we just read about it in Ephesians 6. Okay, That's where our struggle's at. So we need to remember those things that our weapons are not carnal. Our weapons are not physical. Our weapons are the gospel and prayer. Gospel and prayer to the pulling down of strongholds. The truth of God's Word bathed in prayer. Boldness. Because He is after the souls of men, guys. The devil is after the souls of men. After our children. After our loved ones. After those who do not know Christ. And so we need to remember these things, guys. These are our real enemies. Okay? It's not, it's not the other country over there or anybody else. Yes, Satan uses these things, but Satan is our greatest enemy. But it says we're, uh, we're to serve him without fear in verses 74. Really, this, this whole idea of being applied to our lives. That He has rescued us, right? He's rescued us from the hand of our enemies. We were, we were enslaved to sin on our way to hell. Jesus rescued us. Why? 
Or, uh, verse 74. So that we might serve Him without fear. There's no, you no longer need to fear, beloved. If you have been saved by God's grace, you no longer need to fear. Amen. David says in Psalms 27.1, The Lord is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my defense. He is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? There's no need to fear men, guys. There's, there's not even a need to fear death. Isn't that a great thing? You know, it's really... It's really uh, I forget who said this. It's, I'm, it, it was a quote, and I don't even remember the quote exactly, but it was something along the lines of... You know, it's hard to, it's hard to kill a man who's already died to himself. It's hard, you know, it's, what, what does the world do with somebody who's already died to themselves? My old man's dead. You can't do nothing to me. There's a lot of boldness with a person who knows I'm dead to myself. Christ is my life. And whoever this guy was, he said it's, he's a mighty weapon in the hand of God. That's a mighty weapon in the hand of God, guys. If you and I... remember, And remember, it's not just a one-time deal. It's like Chuck was saying that one day when he was here. Man, I've got to kill Brady every day. There he is again. Stomp on him. No, what does Jesus say? We're to die to ourselves daily. But when we die to ourselves and we, when we recognize whose we are, who we serve, when we remember all of these truths we're seeing about Him, that He is the King of kings, He is the Lord of lords, that we're not to fear, even those who can kill our body, but they can't touch our soul, then we can begin to walk with boldness. We, be, we can begin to reach out to these, address these different movements that we see in our day. The slaughter of unborn children. We can go stand boldly and say, thus saith the Lord. And also give hope that Christ can forgive you, Christ can save you, even if you murder your baby. But call it what it is, right? We can stand with boldness and say, against the, the, the evils of our day, and, and, and declare boldly what marriage is. What gender is, male and female. We don't have to be afraid of what they're going to do to us. We can serve Him without fear. That we might serve Him without fear. That's a, that's a liberating thing to know that... Okay? Take my life. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And I'm not saying we should go looking for a death wish. I'm not saying we should go looking for a prison ministry. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if it comes to that, okay, it's God's will. But, but really on a more personal level, guys, don't fear the insults of men. That's really what we face. Don't fear the insults of men. He rescued us, guys, to serve Him. That's why Christ rescued you. To serve Him, to glorify Him. To worship Him. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? God is looking for worshipers. He is seeking worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. To serve Him. In Exodus 3, verse 12, the Lord tells Moses, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. The whole purpose, to deliver them so they could worship Him. Right? What a picture of, of salvation. God saves us. He rescues us so that we might serve Him without fear. This mighty salvation, guys, 
sets us free from the power of sin so that we might worship Him. Okay? If you ever have the idea that salvation is just simply a get-out-of-hell-free card, but you have no desire to worship God and serve Him, then from the Scriptures, the Scriptures declare you probably have not been saved. Because He also rescues us from the power of sin. He's called us to a holy calling. Look at verse 75. In holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. That we, in other words, that we could, He rescues us, that we could serve Him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness all of our days. Timothy says He's called us to a holy calling. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling. He saves us to serve Him, to worship Him. That's what salvation is. We go from worshiping whatever gods we've been worshiping to worship the the one true and living God. Paul told the Thessalonians, or he wrote about them, that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. That's what salvation is. We all had our idols. We all still do have to, we all still have to battle against our idols. But unbelievers, guys, are idolaters. That's what, that's what, they're, that's what they're described of. They're worshiping something. Usually it's themselves in some way. But they're pleasures, different vices. But we go from worshiping these meaningless idols to worshiping the one true God. Third, this mighty salvation, it's accomplished by God. It's applied to our lives, so it affects our life here and now. And then third, it was announced by John, we see in this text. It was announced by John, verses 76 and 77. Zechariah says, And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways. Finally, his song, he, he gets to singing about his little boy. But it's a beautiful thing, though, knowing that he's got this little boy coming, but that his, his main focus is on the Messiah. But he does sing about John, his baby boy that, or, that has already been born. Man, when you think about his... We put ourselves in Zechariah's shoes, guys, and just the people of this day, there had been no prophetic voice in over 400 years. And how excited they must have been who knew their Old Testament Scriptures, who can see, wow, the Lord has visited us. He's here. The forerunner's coming. That means the Messiah's coming. He has visited us. Obviously, this would have been taken in verse 76. Verses like this, Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah says, A voice is calling, clear out the way of the Lord for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. This obviously would have been on Zechariah's mind. So in other words, guys, the, the role of John the Baptist, this one who would prepare the way, is that everything that might hinder people from coming to God should be, could be taken out of the way. That was, that was, he was to prepare people. He was to prepare the self-righteous to, to, to examine their life, to, to look at the sin, to be, because you need to be converted. The Messiah is coming. You need to repent of your sins. He was preparing the way. In verse 77, he says, to give the people, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Really meaning the knowledge of the way of salvation. That's what John was trying to prepare. To sum it up, guys, he's saying that salvation is not by works, it's not because you're an Israelite or any other way. 
In a similar way, in a similar way, guys, we preach the law of God as the preparatory work for the gospel. That was much of John's ministry. Because so many in his day, so many in Paul's day, and so many in our day fit this fit this description. Listen to this. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Paul's writing about the nation of Israel by and large. And he says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Men don't know who God is. They don't know the God's perfect holy standard. And because they don't know God's perfect holy standard, that you have to have a perfect righteousness to be in His presence, they're ignorant of that, and so they just seek to establish their own. Or they just create their own little religious system. And that's what the false cults of our day do. If you just follow these few simple rules that we have, you'll be right with God. And no, that's not the case. God is a holy God, and no amount of good works can appease Him. No amount of good works can wash away our sin. They miss the point that if we violated God's law in one point, we've done what? We've broken the whole thing. They miss the point that you can be you can be keeping all of your religious traditions that your little group has, but one lie is enough to condemn you to hell. That's the holy standard of God. And John came to, to prepare the way. To prepare the way to give the knowledge of the way of salvation. Which is through Christ alone. Through the Messiah. Look at that. To give His people the knowledge of salvation by what? The forgiveness of their sins. The forgiveness of their sins. There's only one way for our sins to be forgiven. And that's through the finished, accomplished work of Christ. Good works doesn't forgive sin. Even if somehow God accepted our good works from here to the day we die, well, what about the lies I've told? They still need to be forgiven. Even if I could have a clean slate from now, my, my sins that I've committed my whole life, what's God going to do with them? He's going to punish them. He will, he will by no means leave... He will, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. That's what He says in His Word. Meaning all sin will be punished. People of our day, they don't understand that. That every sin you've ever committed, every sin that any person, every person has ever committed will be punished. Because God is just. And we know, we know the, the two different ways they'll be punished. One of two ways. Either in hell for the unrepentant sinner who dies without Christ, but for those who by faith come to Jesus Christ and are willing to repent of our sins and trust in Him and confess Him as Lord, our sins were punished. God punished His Son. And that is the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many people miss it because they don't even, need this, they don't even see their need of a Savior. They don't see their need to be forgiven. It's only through Christ. His work on the cross. You know it's always been that way? You know that way didn't change in the New Testament. It's always been that way. Listen to Psalm 32.1. David said, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man 
whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. The man that is blessed, the man that is forgiven, is the man whose sins God has imputed to Christ. Okay? That's the man who's forgiven. That's the only man who's forgiven. Guys, if God would, if God regarded iniquity, none of us would stand in the judgment seat of Christ. When we, when we stand before God in His holy judgment, if God held our sin against us and imputed our sin to us, there would be nobody going to heaven. But it's only through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ where our sin is imputed or laid on Christ, those who believe, and our and his, his righteousness is imputed to us. It's, it all happens at the cross. There's no other way. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This should never be old news to us, guys. We need to be reminded of this time and time again, that the only way we can stand in the presence of a holy God is because Christ took our sin and He gives us His righteousness. And it's all because of His mercy, last of all. It's all because of His mercy. This mighty salvation, it's all because of mercy. Verses 78-79, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. Verse 79, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. It's all because of mercy. What motivated God to send His Son into this world? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It was love, it was mercy, it was compassion that motivated God to do anything on behalf of the sinner. It wasn't us. It wasn't anything good in us. It was His tender mercy, verse 78 says. The word literally means bowels of mercy. In other words, the great and deep, like, like in, just picture your bowels, it's deep compassion. That's what motivated God to send a son. Because of the tender mercy of our God, which, which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Think, think of this picture, guys. Malachi 4, verse 2, it says, the son of righteousness will arise with healing. So that's, that's another picture of Christ. The Son of Righteousness. Picture this in your mind, guys. There's maybe, maybe some travelers going down a road at night. Okay, There's no night lights. There's no street lights. It's dark. They're lost. They're surrounded by nothing but pitch black. By darkness. They're lost. It's like somebody being blinded by the devil in their own sin. They're blind. It's these people going down the road at night not knowing where they're going. That's what this picture of. Those sitting in darkness. Guys, this is describing unbelievers. This is describing the world. Those who are sitting in darkness and the shadow of death. With, get this guys, no hope. No hope. There's no hope for those who are in darkness if they die in that state. There's no hope without Christ. And those who die in their sins, there's no hope in hell. We must never forget that, guys. 
If you're not in Christ, you must understand there is no hope in hell. hundred years go by, no hope. thousand years go by, no hope. Not even of a drop of water. What makes hell, hell, is not God's absence, but His presence. The wrath of God. You'll be under the wrath of God in hell and without ever any hope of relief. Remember what the text says? He who believes in the Son, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not believe shall not see life because the wrath of God abides upon him. And see, but while we're in this life, there's still hope. There's still hope that a person can look to Christ. That he can be delivered out of this darkness. But in hell, there's no hope. But for these people, they're in darkness, guys. They're in darkness. There's no direction. They're in the shackles of their sin. And what are they awaiting? Execution. That's the world. If you're not in Christ, that's describing you. And we could say that there's no hope in this life, but that's not the case. Because then a light appeared. There is a light who has appeared. Listen to Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. This is is Yahweh talking to His servant, the Messiah. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you, speaking to His servant. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. This is a fulfillment of that verse, guys. A light has come. What did Jesus say in John 8.12? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Also, there are hope for the worst of sinners in this life. There are hope for those who are sitting in darkness. There are hope for those who are slaves of all their sin and shackles of their sin who may feel hopeless, but we have to tell them there's hope. Your heart is still beating. There is hope because there has been a light has come into the world and He can rescue you from your darkness. He can save you. He can deliver you. And He says to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 79. There's only one way to find this peace. And we're talking about the peace, having peace with God, which produces peace, having the peace of God. Jesus says, or, or, or Paul says in Colossians 1.20, about Christ having made peace. How? By the blood of His cross. You and I can have peace with God. Our neighbors who don't know Christ, they can have peace with God, but they must come to the cross of Jesus Christ. They must be willing to confess their sins and agree with God that what He did on the cross was so that He could save me. My sins were laid upon Him. I believe that and I'm willing to to put my faith in Him and confess Him as Lord and to follow after Him. And there's hope for any sinner who will come being willing to repent of their old way of life and turn to Jesus Christ. What a mighty salvation, guys. Amen? This is a mighty salvation that God has provided. He's provided it from beginning to end. It has been accomplished. It's been accomplished in the person of His Son. We were in darkness. We were in that category. But a light has dawned. A light has come to show us the way. 
follow me is what he says, right? Follow me. Follow me through the narrow gate. Follow me down the narrow path. And it will lead to glory. Just like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. It will lead to that celestial city. He's the hope for the nations. Right? He's not just the hope for Israel. He is the hope for the nations. And if you do not know Christ, He is, he is your hope. And obviously, He is our hope as the people of God. And in closing, guys, verse 80. And the child continued to grow. Speaking of John, his son, and to become strong in spirit. He lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel, which we'll see a little later. And so guys, may we continue to grow. Okay, Just like John did, may we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and be faithful No, we haven't been given the same assignment as John, but we have been given an assignment from God. That's to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's to be a light. Not capital L, but small L. We're to be a light to those around us. Primarily through the Word of God, waving up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for sending us Your Son. We thank You, Lord, God, that You didn't leave us seated in darkness, God. Lost, blind, dead. But Lord, You have provided a great and mighty light, a great and mighty Savior, a great horn of salvation, who came to destroy the works of the devil, who came to destroy the power of sin in our lives, to set us free, not so we can sin, but so that we can serve, so that we can love our neighbor, so that we can love those who are in opposition to You, so that we can see all the evils of our day and go with boldness and love and compassion and call them to repentance. Father, may we not fear man, Lord, who can only kill our body but they cannot harm our soul, but rather may we fear You who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Father, help us to fear You in our, in our everyday lives. Help us to fear You in our decision making. Lord, we love You, we praise You, we thank You, God, for such a mighty salvation, God, that, that uh, Lord, You've sealed our eternity, You've given us Your Spirit, and You have set us free from sin in this life, and we just praise You, God. We love You, we adore You, and we pray that Christ will be glorified <clears throat> in His name. Amen.